Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom, I'm Dr. Diana Dye with Foundations in Torah and Bible Interact TV. We are on our last session dealing with the dew of heaven, and I introduced it last time. Uh, just laid a little bit of groundwork talking about the story in Genesis 27 about the blessing that Isaac bestowed upon Jacob and Esau. And uh, before I get too into it, I just want to remind you to go to our website, uh, BibleInteract.com or BibleInteract.tv for all kinds of goodies, and we have a lot of information on educational programs and courses, and uh, you can sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive that each month, and you can stay abreast of what we're doing. Of course, we are a consortium of a variety of Bible scholars uh, in different fields. My particular area is uh, I hold a D-min in Hebraic Studies and Christianity. So I'm always trying to tie the concepts in the New Testament to their foundation in the Torah and and certainly in the Tanakh. My website, Foundations in Torah, is dedicated to that. Uh, I see it as absolutely critical to be able to put and unify the two two testaments, if you will, although I, I don't really like to use that name, but the Gospels and the Epistles have got to be connected somewhere to their foundation. And generally, you can find pretty much everything in the Gospels and the Epistles in the Torah, uh, again, if not even in the Tanakh itself. So from that end, I'm going to um, continue on with this particular session, as I said, probably our last session here, dealing with the dew of heaven. So we talked about how Isaac in this story could represent a picture of the, our Heavenly Father. Again, not a perfect picture, but nonetheless a picture. And that Rivka is actually a picture of the Holy Spirit. And so she's she overhears Isaac sending Esau out into the field, uh, which represents the world. And the concept of tzadah, to uh, hunt, is actually to lay an ambush or to snare his prey, which is certainly what the enemy does who goes out into the world, tries to snare his prey. So think of it in those terms. And Rivka overhears this, and then she tells Isaac, uh, then to go out into the field and get and get the game so that he can bring home something that uh, she can make a delicacy that his his father would love. So Jacob would go out into the field. He would get uh, from the goats, the kids, two kids of the goats, and Rivka would make that meat. Now the meat is kind of a picture of the burnt offering or that offering that goes up to the father that's a sweet, fragrant aroma to him. It is the meat that he loves and the meat the way he loves it being made is uh, totally consumed on the altar. So that's kind of our imagery here in this particular story. And we see that the the goats actually represent certainly an offering at Pesach, at Passover, but also the two goats being a picture of the service at Yom Kippur, which we're going to talk about more in, in a minute. And then we saw that Rivka took the garments, or took the, the skins of the goats, which were a picture of the garments of Esau, of the enemy, the flesh of the enemy, if you will. And she clothed Jacob with those skins, and she covered him with the skins of the young kids, and she covered his hands and his neck. 
So we have sort of this imagery of taking on those skins of the goats and acting as an atonement. Remember, the key in all this is that you cannot have a resurrection without an atonement. So we see an atonement taking place here in the story of Jacob taking on those skins of the goats. Now we're going to talk about the two Esau and Jacob in terms of their skin or their clothing, if you will, because that's kind of critical to the story. So first of all, we have Esau, whose name means hairy, uh, also translates from Sa'ar, which means a devil or a goat or a, a satyr, one of those mythological beings. Can also Sa'ar can also be a storm or horribly strong winds, something that causes fear. So from Sa'ar we get Sa'arim, which means the that's a plural, the hairy, the he goats. So remember Mount Seir comes from that same root. That's the place where he was to meet Jacob, and Jacob was in great fear when that meeting was going to take place. So really the idea of, of Esau is a hairy demon. They're the satyrs or the goat demons, so not a very uh, complimentary title. So we had a special cult for the Seraphim from Jeroboam, Jeroboam the first, who made images of goat demons. And now we can compare this whole concept of the goat demons to Azazel, the goat that's uh, sent out in the wilderness for destruction, and how the Azazel goat is connected to the temple service for Yom Kippur. And we find if Esau is truly a picture of the false messiah in every generation, then he is a picture of the internal enemy of God and the people of God. So we don't necessarily have to be upset that uh, Esau didn't get his blessing, uh, which he didn't want in the first place. But there is something more penetrating in all this. So let me just read this. Azazel is the chief of the Seraphim or the goat demons, who haunted the desert and to whom most primitive Semitic tribes offered sacrifices. And then, of course, the the, uh, the, the Tanakh mentioned that Yeroboam appointed priests for the Seraphim. So that's how far off Yeroboam got. Uh, the Seraphim or hairy demons are mentioned in Leviticus 17.7 and also in Second Chronicles 11.15, described as goat demons. And you can also find something in Isaiah 34, um, talking about the goat demons greeting each other among the ruins of Edom, along with Lilith and other wild beasts. Now, it's thought that the name Azazel may actually be, de be derived from two words, Azaz and El. Azaz meaning strong one, El is God, so the, the strong one of God, and not in a good way. And also could have been derived from a Canaanite god, Aziz, one who is said caused the sun to burn strongly. Now, if we go back to Leviticus 16, and I would recommend you rereading this, but this is the whole story of the service for Yom Kippur with the two goats. So the Lord ordered his high priest, which was Aaron, to place lots on the two goats. So one would be marked for the Lord, and the other would be marked for Azazel. On the Day of Atonement. So we can kind of think of Jacob and Esau, in a sense, as those two goats. The goat designated by Lot for the Lord was to be used as a sin offering, which, of course, we saw, we see Jacob taking on that role. The other goat, which is a picture of Esau, was designated for Azaz Azazel, and it was supposed to be left standing alive before the Lord to make expiation with it and to send it off into the wilderness for Azazel. Aaron was to lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat 
and confess over it all the iniquities and transgressions of the Israelites. Whatever their sins were, he put them on the head of the goat and basically sent them off into the wilderness. So this goat carried on it basically all their iniquities into a very inaccessible region of the wilderness, and there uh, it describes the goat as being set free in the wilderness, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, Leviticus also tells us that he who set the Azazel goat free shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water so that he may re-enter the camp. So it it would seem likely that the Azazel was uh, conceived anciently as being sort of a personal being because literally lots were drawn for the Lord for him. Uh, the Leviticus also mentions that Azazel lives in the wilderness, so, so at, as do the Seraphim. So we have kind of, again, an imagery of a personal being of some kind. And because of this whole ritual for Yom Kippur, um, Azazel was described as a scapegoat. And, um, of course, this is the goat that is sent to Azazel, not as a sacrifice, but really as a symbol of sin. Both the goat and the man who led away the goat were considered unclean, and, of course, the only way they could come back into the camp was to wash their clothes and bathe. Now, it says, In one account of the fall of the angels in the book of Enoch, Azazel is the leader of the watchers who educates humankind of heavenly secrets that lead humankind to sin. These teachings include making weapons of war and preparing cosmetics, which enabled the women to seduce the angels. So you can see, again, from the rabbinic writings, uh, this connection between Azazel, this goat, and the false messiah, and educating humankind in these secrets that lead humankind to sin. And... Uh, very distinct difference between Jacob, Yaakov, and Esau. Also says the angels in charge Azazel before the Lord with crimes of revealing these heavenly secrets, which mankind were not supposed to know. Raphael, the angel, was then assigned to punish Azazel by binding him hand and foot and throwing him into the darkness among the sharp and jagged rocks, where he would remain until the day of judgment when he would be hurled into the fire. So now you can see the imagery here of the Azazel goat being led off into the wilderness, to the area of the Dead Sea, and him being thrown off the rocks, rolling, tumbling over and over, and being, uh, being attacked and going hand and foot, throwing him into the darkness among the sharp and jagged rocks until the Day of Judgment where he would be hurled into the fire. So this part of the ceremony that developed by the time of the Second Temple period had to literally do with this particular uh, quote then from the rabbinic literature. Uh, the story then claims the whole earth has been corrupted by Asasel's teaching, certainly a picture of the false messiah, and of his actions, and write upon him all sin. Now we contrast that with Jacob, who was not hairy, but instead smooth-skinned. The, our Hebrew word there for smooth is halak, which also means to divide or to make a portion. So the idea, perhaps, that the father's estate, God the father's, divided among, amongst the sons, whereby the eldest would receive the double portion. So in spite of getting upset about the, uh, the deception here, Jacob, as the smooth skin, really was the God's portion, and Esau was really the enemy's portion. And we see in this story even Yaakov taking on the flesh or taking on the clothes of the enemy as he put 
as Rivka had him put on Esau's clothes. And it says, as in doing so, my father will touch me and I will bring upon myself a curse. So we kind of have a hint here of Jacob showing us something about the future in terms of Yeshua the Messiah, of him putting on the clothes of the enemy, which is the clothes of the flesh in this world, and taking on that curse upon himself. And so the father um, you know, had to keep his distance or forsook him in that because he was bringing on a curse of him on himself. And so this may answer the question of why Isaac says, well, who are you? Knowing even he might not have been able to see well, but he knew who he was. So in the same way, perhaps our Heavenly Father could not look upon Yeshua when he took on the curse of the whole world, that there was this distance and that he did not recognize, if you will, who his son was, as his son was taking on flesh, taking on the curse of the whole world, and not recognizing Yeshua in the flesh in the same way that Isaac perhaps did not recognize uh, Yaakov. So it is that Yaakov took on himself the firstborn of the flesh, that is the sins of the world, as pictured in taking on the clothing of the enemy, the clothing of Esau. And of course, not only did he have the clothing on, but he took on the atonement that was born from the skins of the two goats. So as Yaakov approaches Yitzhak, um, Yitzhak declares that it smells like Jacob's clothes. He smells Jacob's clothes and then blesses him. And he says, my son smells like a field which Adonai has blessed. So may God give you dew from heaven, the richness of the earth and grain and wine in abundance. Now we start with this blessing as, he's, as Isaac is blessing Yaakov and saying that the dew of heaven comes first. And the rabbis, again, just a reminder, saying that the dead will be resurrected with this spiritual force referred to as dew. So Isaac bestowed the patriarchal blessing on Jacob. And the rabbis said that in so doing, Isaac declared that Pesach was the time of redemption and of praise for God and the time when the heavenly chambers of dew and blessings are open. So the blessing on, on Jacob at the time of Pesach certainly hints at uh, the atonement that Yeshua brought at Pesach and certainly the resurrection of the dead. Again, spring being the season for the gentle dew and the rejuvenation of nature and considered a time when the Jewish nation would be redeemed from the Exodus and begin to blossom. Now, the fragrance that he took on was that of the goat skin, which is really a foul-smelling thing, but the idea was that it was connected to Gani Dan or the Garden of Eden, and it was connected to the fragrance of atonement that would ultimately lead to the resurrection. And so this is all sort of how they tie in this prayer of dew for the moisture that makes the plants grow, the dew of life, and it gives life to the people, and it creates and causes the resurrection of the dead. So when it comes down to it, this story of Jacob and Esau is really the story of the eternal destinies of two sons through dew. So we have the life-giving dew, but one to the resurrection of the righteous and the other to the resurrection of the wicked. Again, the fragrance of his garments indicated the spirit. Actually, the word fragrance has a similar root Ruach for spirit, Yareach for the fragrance. And the idea of the fragrance of Gani Dan or the Garden of Eden being the Olam Habar, the future age to come. And he says, bless to those who bless you and curse to those who curse you. And this is all contained in this whole idea of these blessings on these two. 
Now, after this blessing goes forward and this the heavenly dew is on Jacob, and then in comes Esau looking for his blessing, which he does receive one. But Isaac said when Esau came in, he trembled a trembling that was very great. And the rabbis say that Isaac actually perceived Gehinom open beneath Esau, and so that Esau was really the, the essence of what Gehinom was, um, the valley of Hinom, Gehenna, it, true deception. The fact that was that Esau was truly evil, and so this is the distinction being made. Now, in the rabbinic literature, the rabbis declare that Jacob, his name actually means his sovereignty will supplant mine in the Alam Haba. The idea is that he will rule after me. Uh, therefore, it's that Jacob's sovereignty will supplant Esau's sovereignty in the future age. And Jacob will rule after Esau. So the sovereignty belongs in this physical world to Esau, the enemy. But Jacob's sovereignty belongs to the future age, the world to come. The kingdom to come, if you will, the Olam Haba. And that is that Jacob will rule after Esau. And so Esau rules in this present age. Jacob will rule in the Olam Haba. And so Isaac concedes this world to Esau, he says, and the world to come to Jacob. And further says that there, the two worlds there are, um, this world and the world to come. And so Jacob being the one who would be the sovereign over the world to come. Talks about in this world there is eating and drinking, but in the next there are the righteous who with crowns on their heads revel in the glory of the divine presence. It is that Esau chose this world, this present age, and Jacob chose the world to come. And that's really what's at stake in all of this, the bless, the two blessings that go forward and the, the foods that were brought and the, just the whole concept of atonement. So Isaac is basically left to uh, to bless Esau, and now it says that your home will be the richness of the earth first, and then the dew of heaven later. So we see sort of a gap between these two resurrections. Again, Esau's dew speaks of the resurrection of the wicked, and uh, we find that in Revelation 20, that the rest of the dead did not come to life until the 1,000 years were over. And, of course, that's referring to the second death. And that the second death has no power over him who is in the first resurrection. So, once again, we see that the resurrection takes place, first of all, because an atonement was brought. And that atonement came in the fact that Jacob, Yaakov, took on the flesh of Esau, if you will, took on Esau's clothes, and that he took the two kids from the flock, indicating a picture of the uh, the Yom Kippur service, and the two kids of the flock, the two goats, one of them, the skins uh, were used, I believe could have been as a burnt offering, it doesn't specifically say that, but as the burnt offering, or perhaps the Passover offering, the skins were taken, and by Rivka, who is a picture of the spirit, and applied, if you will, onto the body of Jacob, thereby he becomes an atonement or a covering, if you will. So there's our element of atonement in this story. And once that takes place, then we can have a resurrection. 
but not in this story we actually have the a description of both the resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the wicked and again this distinction between these two ages that Esau really uh, a picture of the false messiah of the enemy in this present age that we live in and Jacob a picture of the one whose sovereignty would supplant Esau's in the future age to come in the world to come so there's a great dichotomy here and I I was struck really by that expression that Isaac used that that when Esau came in he trembled a trembling that was very great that's that is actually how it is translated in the Hebrew it, it doesn't come across in the same way in the English but he trembled a trembling that was very great so it is that the rabbis say he recognized that Esau was indeed uh, truly evil but as the atonement takes place and the resurrection of the righteous will take place uh, in the same way that Yeshua conquered sin, conquered death, conquered the flesh. That's the picture that Jacob is giving us in, in receiving this blessing uh, from Isaac. So again, no resurrection without an atonement. And the atonement comes in the goat skins that cover Jacob and the clothing, the flesh that Jacob put on that belonged to Esau. And it is the imagery that we have of Yeshua Messiah leaving, if you will, the world to come and stepping into this physical present age and taking on flesh and being crucified and dying on that tree and his blood being shed. And then after three days and three nights, overcoming the flesh, defeating death and rising from the dead. So again, the, the time frame with all of this takes us back to uh, the spring, Nisan 1, the season for the Tefilat Tal, the prayer for dew. And this reference to the prayer for dew speaks of this sort of invigorating spiritual element that gives life to people and can resuscitate the dead. So in the Amidah prayers, we have this similar thing being mentioned. The uh, Amidah prayer giver wrote for, for strength that you are eternally mighty, my Lord, resuscitator of the dead, are you able abundantly able to save so that that power that spirit the life giving do that force is what is uh what is needed for the resurrection of the dead now these prayers also speak of the do uh, and the resuscitation for those who are buried in the clefts of the rocks and so it was said that in uh, in ancient times it was quite common uh, to bury the dead in openings carved out of solid rock, the clefts of the rock. And of course, they, the Kindron Valley was really the key in all of this. They, um, they associated the resurrection of the dead with the Kidron, that uh, ultimately the very first to be resurrected would be the, the matriarchs and patriarchs from the, uh, the cave of Machpelah in Hebron. Interesting, Hebron, another name for it is heaven. But that the, the Kidron Valley would be wh wh where the rest of the uh, resurrection would begin and then spread out over the, the whole world because one of the meanings of the word for dew is tall. So as we saw in Exodus 16 how the manna was, uh, the dew was on the manna and then the dew was spread out all over the ground in the wilderness in that protected environment. And we saw the same imagery of the fleece where the dew was on the fleece and then the dew was on the ground, spread out all over the ground. 
so too this idea of tall, do, spread out is, is speaking of the, at the time appointed by God, at the time of Jacob's trouble, the ingathering of the exiles, etc. The life-giving force of the do comes forward. Um, let me just read this from Baruch 30, verses 1 through 5. When the time of the advent of the Messiah is fulfilled, that he shall return in glory, then all who have fallen asleep in hope of him shall rise again. And so that is our great hope because of the atonement brought by Yeshua the Messiah is our resurrection. And this is our hope and our crown and, and what we look forward to so that when we go, when our time is finished on this earth, we go to sleep. And in the next moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, we will be raised up. And so we will not even know the, the, the time span that goes between the time that we go to sleep and the time we wake up. So that concludes this session, and I look forward to seeing you next time with a whole new topic. Shalom, goodbye, and thank you again.